Welcome to the Eastern Hills Audio Podcast. We exist to help as many people as possible take their next step towards finding community and following Christ. Maybe you've got questions about Jesus. Maybe you're good with Jesus, just not his church. Maybe you're feeling disconnected and want to reconnect. We think you'll find our messages both helpful and hopeful. So enjoy. Well, if you're tuning in for the first time, my name is Rob, and I get to serve as a pastor here at Eastern Hills. I'd love to have you join us if you're here in Central New York. 9 a.m. is when we have our services on site. I'm usually in the lobby after service, so I'd love to connect with you and say hello. Now, as we get started today, there's a question that I'd like us to consider, and it's a fun question. What was one of the best days of your life? Maybe it was one of your children being born. Don't tell them which one. <laughs> Maybe it was hearing the words, you're cancer free. Maybe it was the day that you said goodbye to diapers, no more body training. Or the day that you came to faith in Christ or were baptized. I'm going to score some points and I'm going to say one of the best days of my life was getting married to my wife. Everyone say, ah, <laughs> my wife's been in California for a few weeks, so I need her to come back. So I'll try to score some points. But recently, my wife and our kids, uh, we watched our wedding day. We have a, a DVD, you know, one of those old school discs. <laughs> and we, we watched it with the girls. They had never seen it before. It was fun. Uh, we were laughing and my wife got teary-eyed at one point. But I was reminded of how cheesy our wedding day video is because when we got married, it was back in 2011, we didn't have any money. I was a youth pastor, and so we couldn't afford a videographer. And so one of the volunteers in my youth ministry, his name was Belt Buckle Bob. Now, mind you, we lived in Bakersfield, and so that gives you a little bit of context, but no, they called him Belt Buckle Bob because the, the man was in his 60s and he had a, a, a belt and the belt buckle said Bob. And all of the kids called him Belt Buckle Bob. And he would lead worship on one of those overhead projectors with the little like arm thing. And you would take the, the clear sheets and turn it over. I know Gen Z is like, oh, what? But yeah, and so he would do it and the kids just loved him. He was a character. But he said, hey Rob, I would love to come to your wedding and shoot, shoot the video. And I thought to myself, the guy that's using the overhead projector is gonna shoot our wedding video? Eh, why not? It's free. So he came and I couldn't wait to watch it because I was really curious what it was going to look like. And it was like we went back. It's 2011 and our wedding video looks like it was done in the 90s with the text and font that comes on the screen. And it's like eight, some of like songs, that, it's like Wind Beneath My Wings and you know Bette Midler songs. And it's just super cheesy, but we love it. And our kids are laughing and my kids were like, dad, that, that kind of looks like you. Yeah, that was me 50 pounds pre-kids and, uh, you know, before getting married. But that was one of the best days. How about you? What would you say is one of the best days of your life? Now, years ago, Peter was Jesus's, one of Jesus' closest friends. And Peter was known for being strong-willed. He was known for being direct and at times brash, kind of like central New Yorkers. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love you. New York, I love you. <laughs> Um, this, this day that we're about to remember is probably one of Peter's best days. And it's recorded in Acts. Peter says, therefore, and he's, he's speaking to a crowd of thousands of people. He says, therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and 
Messiah. And so this is a big moment for Peter. Peter is in front of many, many people. And he goes through great lengths in explaining the scriptures that were pointed to the arrival of the Messiah. And he's made several references that his audience would have understood. And he's saying, you know how it said this? Yeah, well, that was him, the Lord and the Messiah, whom you crucified. And at this point, it would have hit them right at the heart. And this is the response. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, in light of this, brothers, what shall we do? And to which Peter responded, repent and be baptized. Change your mind about who this Jesus is. Make a decision, publicly declare that to the best of your ability, through the power of the Holy Spirit, from this day forward, Jesus is my Lord. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and this is incredible, about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, this is Academy Award status, Super Bowl championship status for pastors. This is like a Billy Graham type of moment. Ministers go through their entire career. Pastors go through their entire ministry life and never have a moment like this. This for sure would have been one of Peter's best days. But years before probably one of Peter's best days. Peter had probably one of his worst days. And Jesus predicted it. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, uh, chapter 26, if you want to follow along, in verse 31, after Jesus had spent some time with his disciples and one of the final moments that he had with them imparting wisdom, telling them what's, what was coming, he leaned in and told them, this very night, you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And so Peter was often like the goody two-shoes of the class, always looking for the gold star. Peter speaks up and says, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. And Jesus says, I'm sorry, buddy. I, I, I hear you. I know you love me, but truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he's speaking to Peter and Peter doubles down and says, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Today, we're gonna look at this failure and how Peter responds and how God responds. And I wanna encourage you to, to dive in and consider what this might mean for your own failures, your worst days, and what God has to say about that. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we're grateful for your word and truth as we open it up now. Would you help me to speak clearly uh, so that you can be honored and glorified? Would you, would you speak to us to the truth of the scriptures? Would you grab hold of our hearts? Would you grab hold of our minds? Uh, would we leave this time knowing more of you and being confident and trusting you with our lives? And we pray these things in the power of your son, Christ Jesus name. Amen. Now, if you're just tuning in for the first time, this is week two of this series, Nothing Wasted, that we kicked off last week. And what I talked about last week is sometimes we hurt, experience hurt that is done to me, and sometimes we experience hurt that is done by me. 
And so last week we looked at the story of Joseph and Joseph experienced hurt that was done to him, that he experienced the type of moments that you never want to go back and remember. And yet God chose to redeem those moments. And we saw that nothing is wasted with God. You see, what's true in life, regardless of where you stand with Jesus, faith, Christianity, the Bible, is that there's this spectrum that exists. And the spectrum is that we move from moments that we laugh or chuckle about and we say, you know what, that's life. And on the other side of the spectrum are those harder moments, those harder seasons in life where we say, that's not right. (laughs) After service on site uh, last week, I was talking with someone in the lobby and they were looking at me kind of strange and getting closer and looking at me. And I thought, man, do I have this pimple on my forehead or something? And so I couldn't wait to, to escape for a moment. And I went into the restroom and I looked at myself and I had my mask up down. I had one of those like peak type N95 mask things or whatever. And so it was on funny. And so I probably looked a little goofy. And I thought to myself, well, that's life. <laughs> on the other side of the spectrum, though, are those moments where we experience that type of hurt that we say, this isn't right. How did I get here? When the divorce papers are handed to you and you realize it's because of your own failures, when you check yourself into rehab, when you're fired from your job because you were dishonest, you were stealing from the company, when you file for bankruptcy because of poor financial decisions, when you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're thinking, I'm pregnant and I can't even legally drive. And you're thinking, this friendship, this person that I've known for 30 years, how could I have betrayed them? How could I have hurt them in this way? These are those that's not right moments. Well, this is a series where we explore the truth and the reality that in life with God, nothing is wasted. And so today, through the life of one of Jesus' closest friends, we're going to see that the key to faithfulness is not our faithfulness, it's his. So let's go back to where it started with Peter. Peter was a a fisherman and his brother Andrew, they were putting a net into the sea and Jesus comes along to them and says, follow me, I will make you fish for men. And at once they left their nets and followed them. So Peter was a married guy. And so this would have been a challenge for a conversation at home. Listen, I met this guy named Jesus and I'm gonna follow after him. But honey, we've got this great fishing business. It's all right, I'm just, I just think I've gotta do this. And so he follows after Jesus and not only does he just follow him, he becomes one of Jesus's closest companions alongside James and John, who were known as the sons of Zebedee. And this group of three men were able to witness things that none of the other disciples saw. Things like when Jesus brought back a girl to life. It took place in the house of Jairus. Jairus raised, uh, Jesus raised Jairus' daughter back from the dead. And so Peter would have seen Jesus' power over death. But what happened next surely would have blown Peter's mind. The transfiguration, if you recall the story, mountainside, it would have been unlike anything that Peter would have saw. In fact, it was because Peter even questioned whether he should even be there as Jesus's face was bright as the sun and his clothing was pure white light. It was the revelation of Jesus's true identity. And so after seeing Jesus's power and after seeing him, uh, the transfiguration, Peter would also see Jesus in a moment of grief, the garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus turns to the father and says, God, if there's any other way, would you take this cup for me? And so in this moment, 
Peter has now seen Jesus in 100% fully God, his deity, and also 100% fully human and his humanity. And so he's witnessed all of this. And then he's witnessing the arrest of Jesus. And he follows Jesus into a room where his fate is discussed. And those in the room say, he's worthy of death. And Peter's there as they began to spit in the face of Jesus and they would strike him with their fists. Some slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Messiah. They mocked him. I mean, this is one of his closest friends. They had done life together. And Peter stood back and watched. Mind you, Peter said, hey, I've got your back. And he was present and he couldn't take it anymore. So he steps outside. Now, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. He said, she said, you also were with Jesus of Galilee, but he denied it before them all. That's the, the first denial. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. And he denied it again. That's twice. And he says, I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. And then he began to call down the curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Three times, three different accounts. Doing the thing he said he would never do. Denying association with Jesus. Now, if you are the type of person that likes to poke holes at the Bible, and before I became a Christ follower, I was that person. You know, how can I trust the Bible because there's all these contradictions? You might be pointing out that why is it that when I read the gospel accounts of what took place with Peter and his denial of Christ, why did each writer tell a different story? I mean, is this an error? Is, are they in contradiction? This is a great question and a great thing to point out. Uh, you know, the thing about the gospel writers is they were much like journalists. They wrote with a specific purpose and a specific audience in mind. It's the same reason why when I watch a Red Sox game and a, or a Red Sox-Yankees game, if I was listening to the sports broadcast, they're going to be watching the same game, but telling it, unf or it's unfolding to the listener in an entirely different light. They're leaving out some of the secondary details. Writers do this all the time. And so it's not, not any different with the gospel writers. It's not that the gospels contradict one another. They complement one another. When you put all of them together, you get an entire picture. If you listen to some of the sports broadcasts on the Red Sox side, if you listen to some of the sports broadcasts on the Yankee side, you get the total perspective. And that's what's happening with the gospel accounts, and specifically the account with Peter and the denial. So after Jesus, uh, Peter denies Jesus three times a rooster crows as Jesus predicts. Immediately a rooster crowed and then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows you will disown me three times and he went outside and wept bitterly. And this phrase here in the original language means complete devastation. He was wrecked. Have you been here before where you've experienced the moment where you're devastated? And you realize that this, the person to blame is looking back at you in the mirror, that, that you did this, you've caused pain to yourself or you've caused pain to other people. But 
Peter's story doesn't end here. You see, what would happen next with Peter is he would witness an empty tomb. And he would witness the resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus would appear to him. And so this gave Peter all of the assurance and confidence that everything that Jesus said about grace and mercy and where to find his identity was worthy of his trust. Every story, every moment took on new meaning. And so now we move forward back to where we started. That day where a failed fisherman stood in front of thousands of people speaking boldly about Jesus. He said, this promise, the promise is for you. What I've said about Jesus is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for every person that's ever wandered off, for every person that's experienced failure in their marriage, failure in finances, failure in their relationship with their children, failures, for every person that says, I'm not good enough, I could never, I'll never be able to recover, for all of those that have wandered far, far away from God, for all who are far off, this promise is for you, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Think about it. Have you ever had to deliver a message in front of a group of people, looking you in the eyes, knowing your past, knowing that you failed and deliver a message? This is what Peter's doing. Now, I don't know what happened this way, but in a crowd of a thousand people, you got to imagine that there's a few hecklers. Hey, Peter, aren't you the guy that that chickened out to the little girl? (laughs) Hey, Peter, aren't you the guy that was right there and could have done something for Jesus as they spat in his face and mocked him and punched him and slapped him? Where were you, Peter? Where were you then? You weren't so courageous then, throwing his past into his present. But Peter doesn't stop. He continues with the message. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. You see, a failed fisherman led thousands of people to Jesus. Peter's failure was not wasted, not because of his faithfulness, no, but by the faithfulness of Jesus to his people. See, Peter's comeback helps us consider some important steps that we can take when responding to our failures. First thing is this, is that we can own it. Peter's comeback, responding to failure, we own it, rethink it, release it. We start with owning it. Peter often spoke of repentance, changing our mind about Jesus, changing our mind about our attitude towards sin, which was the standard that God has for our life and saying that we need to pursue the one who is holy, that God demands holiness, that he needs our love, uh, that he wants our love and affection and our desires and our time and our talent and our treasures. And so we change our mind about life and why we're here and our purpose. We repent, we turn to Jesus. We own our failures. The reality is, is that we are only as strong as we are honest about our weaknesses. This is the message of the Christian faith. Not so much that we have it all together. No, that we fall short and that we serve a living God, a resurrected God that is our savior. And that when we are weak, he is strong. Now, back uh, last week, I shared about some of the the worst moments that I experienced as of late and that I found myself uh, on the floor weeping in front of my family because ministry had just broken me. And in that moment, I kept recalling, you know, I'm a failure, I'm a failure, I've failed my family, I failed all these things. But here's what's true is that 
it was true that I was not at my best in that season. And so I didn't give my family what they deserved. I failed them. I, I, the staff that I was leading deserved better from their leader. The, the church that I was to care for deserved better than I was able to care during that season. Should I have had conversations in a, in a clearer light? Sure, absolutely. Could my attitude or posture or demeanor have been better? Absolutely. Those are failures in that season that I need to own. But more than just owning them, I need to rethink them. How can I learn from my past failures in the same way that Peter learned from his past failures? So we own it and then we rethink it. You see, the, the process of making a comeback is exactly that. It's a process. You're in transition. You're moving from point A to point B. And anytime you're making a comeback, you're out of balance emotionally because you are going to be up and down and the highs and lows, good days, bad days, as you recover from the pain of your failures. And in this process, when you're walking your way through grief and pain and, and responding to failures, you are going to be self-absorbed by default. And what you're doing during that time of being self-absorbed is you're in evaluation mode. And this takes time. Culturally, time is often seen as the enemy because we live in an Amazon Prime culture where we get things instantly. But the process of a comeback is not one that's done in a microwave. It's more of one that's done in a crock pot. It slowly builds over time. In life, we, we, we know that it's not that experience that makes us wise. No, it's evaluated experience that makes us wiser. Uh, just because we know better doesn't mean that we do better. It takes time to rethink how we failed and how we got there and what's going to be different going forward. I know this full well. One, one example that comes to mind back when I was a youth pastor is an event that we would do every year called the Mad Dash Pumpkin Smash. <laughs> and so we would do this scavenger hunt throughout the facility and outdoor and indoor. And at the end, we'd go to the top of the church building and we would smash pumpkins. <laughs> and so you would drop it down and it would go to a, you know, a million pieces. But prior to that, part of the event was carving your pumpkin. And so at 25 years old, I made the decision to hand knives to junior high students with little supervision. And every, for, for two years, I would get the feedback of, is this the wisest thing? You know, we're just begging for an accident to happen. No, 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 it's totally fine. Until the year came when one of my students took the knife through her finger to the bone and ended up in the ER room with several stitches. And I'm sorry if your stomach just turned. And so when I was face to face with the parent and clearly she was upset, you know what I had to say to her? That's life. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I did not, I did not say that. Uh, my ministry career would have been, been over. No, I, was, I just kept saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry again. But the truth is, is that I knew better. But Evaluated experience over time is how we recover and rethink our failures. You see, our failures should become rumble strips. Rumble strips are those things on the side of the road that caution us that we're bearing into a direction that we should not go that will be harmful. And so we need to place rumble strips in our life when we have failed through pornography, 
Uh, when we have failed through substance abuse, when we have experienced failure by having an affair, when we have experienced failure due to bankruptcy, even gluttony. I mean, gluttony is one of those things that I'm learning as, as an American culture that we don't want to talk about. But when we overeat or drink for the sake of satisfaction outside of God, then that's not something that is going to be helpful to us. It's actually going to lead to greater failure when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. Uh, when we fall short of God's mark, when it comes to play all of our hopes and fears and political idols and then we don't get the outcome and it shipwrecks us emotionally. Uh, when we experience failure from serial dating, going from one person to the next, after the next, after the next, or lusting for likes, finding our identity or satisfaction in our social media newsfeed, and then we find ourselves uh, making decisions or making statements or making a fool out of ourselves publicly in front of people and losing the trust of other people that we care about. When we experience those type of failures in our past, we can use that and allow them to become rumble strips to caution us from experiencing further harm or causing further harm in other people's lives. But let me give you this. Because as one that has recently gone through failure, this is something that I'm learning, that as you're in this evaluation mode, a couple of things, as you're learning and evaluating your experience, know that as humans, there's a shelf life when it comes to empathy and how much people will extend over a period of time. Because we're a microwave culture, people just expect you to move on and recover and go on with your life. And sometimes it just takes you longer and don't get frustrated with other people when you're still in the pain and they just want you to move on. Consequently, on the other side of this, if you're on the other side of watching someone go through failure and try to make a comeback, know that they are not going to be at their best when they are in their worst. Uh, one of the things that we do as humans is we expect other people to be at their best when they are at their worst. A way that I'll illustrate this is through a car accident. I remember... When I was in high school, I was driving with a friend and uh, senior year, and we went through an uh, intersection. We had the right of way, but someone blew through the stop sign and just smashed our car, sent us in a 360 tailspin. Airbags came out, glasses shattered, hongs, uh, honk, the horns are going, and I, I was disheveled. I was discombobulated. And, you know, and, and of course, you get to the scene and people are asking you questions. The officer's interviewing you. You have this checklist from your insurance company you're supposed to go through. But when you're at your worst, you're not going to be your best. You're not going to remember all of the details. You're not going to have conversations the way that you would like to have them. And that's just true when you experience train, uh, pain or trauma from a failure. And so when you're on the other side of someone else as they're failing, remember that. They're not going to be at their best when they are at their worst. But eventually, that doesn't, that doesn't excuse the behavior. Eventually, they're hopefully going to have an evaluated experience and they'll start to develop those rumble strips in their life. Or at least that's what we can be praying for or loving them to that point. But maybe for some, it's not rumble strips that you need in your life. For some, it's to hit the gas pedal because your past failures has you stuck. You're more at the tracks. You know, the, the railroad crossing gate is down and it's come back up and it's gone back down. It's come back up and it's gone back down and still you're stalled. And you're haunted by your past. And the, the train coming down the tracks is your past failure. And you're just afraid to move forward because you're saying to yourself, you know what? 
I can never be in a relationship with again because I just can't tell them what I did to that person I loved and they'll never look at me the same again. You know, my kids, they'll never have the same respect for me again or my parents will never trust me again or I'll never recover from this financially. Who will ever hire me again? How can I show up to the grocery store and run into people and then you're gonna know this is true about me and you're just stuck. You see, that leads us to the third step. Here's something else that Peter did towards his comeback. Own it, rethink it, and then release it. You see, it's true. Your past should caution you. Your past should be a rumble strip in your life. Your past should caution you, but it shouldn't control you. It's true that people will never look to Peter the same. People didn't look to Peter again the same, but he had, he had experienced his, his failure. In the same way that when we experience failure, People won't look at us the same. But that didn't stop Peter. Peter would not have his past define his future. It didn't stop him because his focus was on who he is in Christ Jesus. Here's what Peter would tell a group of Christ followers. He would remind them about their new identity. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession to proclaim the virtues of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. You were once in darkness, but now you are in light. This is who you are. A pastor I like to listen to, he says, failure is never a person. Failure, a failure is an event, but it's never a Person, So you are not a failure in Christ Jesus. You are a chosen people. Yes, you might have failed, but now you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a, a people for God's own possession. That's who you are, Peter says. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is where Peter's focus was. That's how he was able to release it and move forward past his failures. Honest confession. This is the season where me and my wife are in. I'm being really raw in this series for a purpose because I'm just helping the church know where we're at. I mean, this is, I've shared what we've, we've been through and the truth is, is it's hard for us uh, to wake up on a Sunday morning, get, you know, get our family ready to go to church and social media is blowing up with people saying things about my character. Imagine how hard that is for my wife that she's going to go and, and come and then that's what people are going to be talking about in the lobby and the, the looks of disapproval. And again, this is without conversations and people filling in the gap. And that's hard. And it's true. Yes, that was, you know, a hard season and could decisions have been handled better? Yeah. Could conversations could have been handled? Yes. But again, what's the expectation? Expecting someone to be at their best when they're at their worst? Peter says love covers a multitude of sin and that we should respond in hospitality and love without grumbling. That that's how we should work together to move forward. But in the meantime, for, for my wife and I, it's, it's challenging to show up and to know that those type of conversations are happening. And so the only way for us to move forward is not in our own willpower or might or just to ignore it. No, it's through Jesus. The key to faithfulness is not my faithfulness, it's his. And the way that Jesus showed up for Peter at his worst moment, Jesus shows up for me at my worst moment. In the same way that he shows up for you 
in your worst moment. He's faithful. And if this is true, we know that our past will not define our future. And the same is true for all of those in Christ Jesus, that there is nothing wasted with God, even our failures. Let's pray. Father, this is such good news, and I'm grateful for the reminder that you've given us through Peter today, that you are a God of mercy. You are a God of grace. You are a God of second chances. You are a God of infinite wisdom. You are a God that's given us our spirit, your spirit now to respond and, and knowledge and godliness and self-control and, and perseverance. Help us to put those things on as we learn from those failures that have hurt others. Help us now to love others in the way that we want them to love us. Help us to be the ones that extend grace and mercy. Help us to know when we're hitting up against those rumble strips so that we would not experience the same pain and tragedy, but use our stories to help other people in the midst of their own failures. And Father, for those that are in the midst of the hardship, in the midst of the pain, and they're in that season of making a comeback, be with them. May your presence overwhelm them. Raise up an army of brothers and sisters around them to support them and encourage them in this moment and give them the courage and humility to reach out and say, I need support as I make this comeback. And we pray these things in the power of your son, Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I want to thank you for, for engaging. Uh, if you ever have any questions about a message or want to talk a little bit more, I'd love to have a conversation with you. Just shoot me an email. It's rob.ryerson, R-Y-E-R-S-O-N at easternhills.org. We're going to sing one more song together today. Thanks so much, and I hope you have a great week. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. If so, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast. For more information about Eastern Hills, please check out easternhills.org. We would love to pray for you. Email your request to office at easternhills.org. If you would like to donate to the ministry of Eastern Hills, click the donate button in the upper right-hand corner of our website. We look forward to connecting with you again next week. Take care. God bless.